what's going on you rogues and rebels welcome to a brand new episode of the rogue country podcast i'm mike west today we are joined by the mighty ags Connolly. he's got a brand new record coming out that you can help fund through kickstarter it's an amazing platform that can help artists really achieve their goals and we're going to be getting into it in this podcast but first let's talk about some dates in october myself mike west chris dover and Jody Davis from Fargo Railroad Company. We're going to be going on a little three-day tour. We are going to be hitting Nottingham on the 14th of October at the Running Horse. We're then going to be hitting Sheffield on the 15th of October at the Alder. And then on the 16th of October, we're going to be hitting Bradford at the Boar and Fable. Now, Chris, myself, and Jody are going to be in all of these dates. But for Nottingham, we're going to be bringing our friend Cold Hands along for the ride. And then in Sheffield, that little rascal Josh Bettis is going to be joining as well. So I really hope you can come enjoy these songwriter rounds that are going to be absolutely phenomenal. We're going to make you laugh, we'll make you cry, and we're going to have a good time regardless. After that, I've got some really cool tour dates myself. On the 6th of November at the York in Bolton, I'm going to be opening the show for Nick Shoulders and Grave Dancer. Grave Dancer has already been on this podcast. He's incredible. Nick Shoulders. I don't need to tell you about Nick Shoulders. You already know who this guy is. And this is his first UK tour. And it's going to be insane. Then in November, I'm going back on the road with Cam Cole. And I'm going to be playing the Night and Day in Manchester on the 17th of November. Boom in Leeds on the 19th of November, the Corporation in Sheffield on the 24th of November, and the, the Bodega in Nottingham on the 27th of November. So if you see me in Sheffield or Nottingham in October, and then you want to see me in Sheffield or Nottingham in November, they're going to be completely different shows, and I cannot stress enough how much fun we're going to have. Ags Connolly is on the show today. If you know anything about UK country music, this is a name you should be very, very familiar with. He's been a legend of the scene since 2012, 2013 when he started performing. And since then, he is one of those artists that everyone respects, everyone loves. And there's a reason why he's a fucking phenomenal dude. His music's top notch. And he's a really interesting guy to chat to as we are about to discover. He is currently kickstarting his new album, Siempre, where you can help back his record and create this album and make it a real thing of beauty. You can go over to Kickstarter. Now the link will be in this podcast and it's all over our social media posts as well. And you can really show your support for these independent artists. Go directly to the artist and create something special. I'm a huge fan of Kickstarter. I use it to back Luke Hendrickson's most recent project. I've backed a ton of comic books on it. And the main thing is to support the artists you love. I think there's no better platform, especially with all that business that happened with Pledge a while back. Kickstarter is one of the old faithfuls that I truly, really believe in. But let's get down to it, guys. This is episode 52 of the Rogue Country Podcast with Mike West and Ax Connolly. really excited to talk to you. It's been, a, it's been one of those things that i've known of you for a long time i've really enjoyed your music we've not met which is weird for two people in the uk yeah but yeah, i'm yeah. really excited to get to chat to you today how are you doing i'm doing all right yeah yeah you're right we have never met yeah um <laughs> i can I, I wasn't quite sure actually but yeah no i don't think we have but it's, it is weird because um <clears throat> it's been um it's been quite a long time that we've known of each other yeah for sure mm. yeah because i think it was 2018 we did like a mini festival together in Manchester and that revolution, the ranch thing. And I think you headlined it. I was like first or second on, but I had two gigs that day. So I did mine and then basically fucked off to another one. And I think you closed okay. out the show. Uh, is that the thing at the, um, Oh God, um, Gulliver's. 
and knows the old school bus thing. Oh, that festival. Yes, yeah, so I remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite, I, I do remember. Yeah, uh, Lars put it on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, like, let's kind of go to your origin stories, man. What music or like were you listening to as you were growing up? Was it country music or was it something else? Um, it, it wasn't country music. Um, my 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 dad definitely wasn't into country music. I think my mum liked it, but she didn't. She didn't have any records or anything. Mm. She didn't, wasn't playing it around the house. The stuff I was. I was hearing him um, was a lot of fifties rock and roll mm. and a lot of Beatles and things like that. It was like, you know, um, the stuff that my dad grew up with. <clears throat> um, and the person that I really latched onto at that age was Buddy Holly. Mm. Um, and I think looking back, it's because Buddy Holly actually um, was, was a country singer when he started out and he, and he graduated into rock and yeah. roll. And I could maybe hear that in the music somewhere. I think, um, I, I, cause I especially liked, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I loved his, rock and roll stuff but i also loved his more singer songwritery stuff and his uh and his kind of more country-esque stuff and that was that was what really spoke to me at the time and i think that was my first um inklings of it but then after that i kind of i you know as a probably not even a teenager like when i was 12 or something i was really into nirvana and mm. um, and I, I started to get into punk and i i mean i still like that stuff you know like um and and I, I had that sort of the sort of angst-ridden years, like listening to that stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but by the time I was about fourteen, <clears throat> I'd started listening to um, Ron Sexsmith, and uh, um, that was what then turned me on to Leonard Cohen. And I realised mm. that what I really loved was was songwriting, and that was that was the stuff I was interested in, like song songwriters. Yeah, and <clears throat> and then after that, I I just progressed through a, a number of them and I thought I was I thought that what I wanted to be was a folk singer but then I realized I didn't actually like a lot of folk music <laughs> so uh, that I was a bit stuck for a while and, and then and then it slowly became obvious to me that country music was 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 the home of the real simple direct songwriting that I really loved mm. and that was and that was the thing that that spoke to me the most and that was what I wanted to do and then I realized it just kind of suited me it suited my singing voice it just suited my personality and and I went on to country from there so it's it's, it's a bit unusual because a lot of people grow up listening to it or they had a grandparent or something who had a yeah. load of vinyl records and all that sort of stuff but I never had any of that I kind of just had to to discover it myself the, the long way around yeah no I'm I'm the same man like I started on like the kind of angst ridden years and it was like you know nirvana and then moving to like lincoln park and some like heavier stuff but it was that like nirvana and grunge and like punk stuff because it's so weirdly close to country music yeah with how yeah. they're influencing the songs that it was when i got a bit older and i started finding like you've got the johnny cash poster like the american recordings of yeah. what i found and it's mm. one of those things where you latch onto them and then i think it makes it more important because it was your discovery as well it wasn't like you found it through a grandparent or a parent. It was like, I found this and this is fucking mine now. Yeah, I guess that's part of it. I mean, that was certainly the case with stuff like um, uh, Leonard Cohen and mm. um, Loudon Wainwright III, who's probably still my favourite songwriter. And it was like, you know, no one else was listening to them. And people I was at school with, just like, they didn't get it at all. And I, and But it was stuff that I... I'd, you know, that I realised suited me, and and yeah, absolutely. There was there was a big element of that that it was my thing, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and you've grown up. Is it Oxfordshire you're based? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you always grown up around that area? 
Yeah, yeah. My family's from uh, was from London originally, and they moved out here with my brother just before I was born. So they they're technically all from London, including my brother, and, and mm. I was the only one from here. Um, but it was weird because it meant that because my brother grew up there, he couldn't wait to sort of get back to live in a city. Whereas yeah. I've because I've been born here, like in the countryside, I've I've, I've never wanted to to leave the countryside, and I never never liked the idea of living in a city. You know, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, but but you know it's um i think this also had a big impact on my on my music and my songwriting because because i do i do appreciate all that kind of um uh the the rural stuff and and being out in the open and all that and i think that it definitely has some kind of an influence on my music yeah yeah no totally man that's one of the things that i really like about you know british country like yourself is you know yeah country is american and it has that side of things but you know rural is rural no mm, matter yeah. where you are and That's it'd be right. interesting to try and find like obviously i know like there's a few good australian singers obviously they have a rural like yep. um, market and like a population there so it's cool to see you know you don't have to be an american to sing country music it's you don't even necessarily have to be rural but it yeah. does lend that level of like not authenticity but experience and history to the person when they're singing and that's what i really enjoy about your stuff yeah, there's um I saw a thing recently on Twitter about um there's there's certain African countries where country music's huge because um it was brought there by some radio DJ or other at some time. But it but a lot of the people in, in, in these particular countries were happened to be farmers and have rural jobs and, and and a lot of the issues that were raised in country music were 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 very relevant to them and yeah. it's and it's caught on and over the decades it's been passed down through the generations and i think that's great and it's it just shows you how universal the the subject matter can be you know yeah no totally and your debut album came out in 2014 i kind of see like this modern country wave of like artists happenings from like 2012 2016 onwards you kind of were like just at the peak of it or just at the very beginning of it what yeah. was it like when you first started out in like 2013 2014 it was different because um i mean yeah that wave you're talking about hadn't really got going not really um and so when i came out there was that there it was very hard to find anyone who was interested in that sort of thing um at the time there's i, I don't know if there's, there's a a duo from uh from up north my down in clementine that mm. have been around for a good long while michael weston king and ludal gleach and they and they were on a label called Drumfire. and i saw that their first album had come out on this label and i thought oh well um that that label might be interested in, in what i do and it turned out they were but other than that there was absolutely nothing and there was nothing like we have now mm. with with this big uk uk country scene <laughs> in, in inverted commas yeah um it's like <laughs> That when I played at the very first country to country at the O2, mm. and it was absolutely nothing like it is now. Like the they had the the state the stages on the sort of concourse outside because you had the big names obviously in the arena. I think Carrie Underwood and Tim McGraw that year. Um, but the stage on the outside, there was there was no scene to draw a crowd for that. There was nothing yeah. there. So there were there were only a handful of us actually playing on those stages. We had to do six sets over the over the two days that it was on. Um, and there was hardly anyone watching the stages. Um, the, the acts that were playing were not exclusively country. Um, mm. They were just whoever was available. And it was very, very different. I think it was the next year that it had grown much bigger, probably because at that point the Nashville TV show was getting very big, and that's mm. what started so much of this. Yeah. That was people watching that Nashville TV show and, and thinking that 
that they like that sort of thing. So that so then after that it grew exponentially. But at the time <clears throat> it it didn't really exist, and there wasn't this 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 UK country surge, and there wasn't um, you know there weren't all these people of a certain age suddenly who'd been listening to Taylor Swift and seen the Nashville thing suddenly wanting to go country. It just it just hadn't happened. So it was sort of a a strange time, mm. um, and and. It was actually a bit of a lull because before that you can look back and see that there were things before that were more popular, like the big Wembley festivals, mm. you know, the giant Wembley festivals. Yeah. In the eighties. Exactly. And yeah. uh, it went, I think it went um, into the nineties eventually. Um, they did try and revive it very unsuccessfully at one point. Um, but it was, but that, those things were huge and they used yeah. to get huge names over and you had all the people from the, the country music club scene in this country who used to go to that and, and you'd see some big stars there. And that was kind of really on the wane and on the decline mm. at the time, probably at that time that I started just before the Nashville TV show kicked everything off again. I, if You know, that's a very uh, sort of potted history of it, but yeah. I, I think that's probably just about what happened. Yeah. No, man, it's so interesting. Cause like I've been, talking to some of the like the old guys who like did the Wembley festivals or went mm. and I've been talking to a few people just to try and get a history of what happened beforehand because you know the hillsiders were yeah. quite a big name and first, they, um I think they were the first UK band to play on the Grand Ole Opry I think yeah I think that's mm. why it says on their website I couldn't find anything to dis verify that claim so but, well do you I'm know what sorry with... sorry to interrupt with, but you know there's there's so there's so little documented history mm. of UK country music until the last decade yeah. or two there's there's almost nothing from that from that era you can find the odd thing that alan cackett wrote or something like that yeah. or those people who who did document it but there's almost nothing I'd, I'd like to think there's a lot of back issues of country music people or something that that have a lot more about it but other than that you look on the internet there there is no i mean the internet just wasn't used by the british country music um no. fraternity at all and until you know until recent times and it's that's a real shame but sorry to interrupt yeah. yeah no no that's the thing and it's like the alan cackett stuff i found and he uploaded some just like jpegs of his country mm. music articles and stuff so i've been reading yeah. them i'd found out about like obviously the hillsiders are from up my way in liverpool uh, phil brady yeah. and the ranches and that's one of been one of the fun things for me going through charity shops and all local record stores is right. trying to find i found like a copy of phil brady and the ranches it was like fucking no way it was like yeah. three quid i was like score but it's been <laughs> That interesting thing, but everyone kind of forgets yeah. or chooses to ignore that between like the fifties to like the eighties, early nineties, it was fucking huge. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, there was that huge. Um, there was a Peterborough festival that used to happen as well, and I and I think one year there were two hundred thousand people at it. It's like you know you just, you just wouldn't you wouldn't have that now. You no. wouldn't have that now. Uh, I think some. I think that point was made by Duncan Warwick and country music people once because people were saying, "Is country music bigger than it's ever been in the UK?" And he said, "Well, actually, if you look back, you know, like and, and listed all this stuff when it was it was much much bigger. It wasn't just a this yeah movement which is arguably not going to last of, of you know." people of a certain age um following the Nashville program but but it's but it 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 was very different back then as well you know you had a lot of British a lot of the British acts were covers bands mostly mm. they okay they they had some of their their own original stuff and I'm sure they they fight the corner for that but but also a lot of it was covers because that's what people expected yeah. that's what people at the country music clubs expected and I when I started out I played a few of those country music clubs and they did not like it because I wasn't playing covers I was yeah. playing my own stuff I also didn't have a backing track or anything like that yeah uh, and it's and that's that's kind of what they came to expect so it it, it became a little bit 
cheesy, I think. Um, I think that the band like the Hillsiders were probably trying to do a bit different and be a, a you know, be more more like an original band. But honestly, there probably wasn't that much market for that because people just wanted to hear the, the records they knew from the radio or whatever. Yeah, that's one of the things because I've been doing this for six years now. And right. ob- obviously I'm not country country. I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself traditional country or anything. I think we'd go really well on a lineup together, but mm. you know, what we do is a bit on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. But even I kind of saw like the old country scene kind of became like a parody and it was a cheesy cliche of itself with that yeah. back and track type of thing. And then it was kind of like the insincerity and like the TikTokers, like social media popularity side of yeah. the new wave coming through. And then in between that, there's kind of the artists that are snaking their way to try and create something that I think will hopefully last a bit longer than yeah. you know what's yeah. currently out there. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. I would agree. I, th- these things they they go in like sort of stages and cycles, and mm. I don't really know how long this uh, this this current one will last. I mean, to be fair, the country to country thing at the O2 as an example is, has been very popular, and I think if they can still keep drawing big names then then it will continue to be but it's it's Mm. kind of failed on one level in that they 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 started as trying to be something that that brought that new stuff and and kind of fused it with the past they'd always have legacy legacy acts as they call them um but but they're finding that no one's interested in the legacy acts because all they want to hear is the the newer ones that they've that that they've heard on the radio or whatever now and or seen online somewhere and and that's that's interesting. I think it's been said for so long now that there's got to be a split in country music at some point. It's been said for so long, but there never seems to be. They just keep keep dragging the word and using it for for new things all the time and and calling anything new country. And it's like that's why. I mean, without going on a massive rant, the, the, that's why Ameripolitan was created because it because it was like the word is meaningless now. So we created this other word for. Um, for more traditional stuff yeah. and to shine a spotlight on that. And, and I think they hoped that would be the break, but it, but it, it didn't happen really. And, and country is still used to describe anything and everything. And so, so who can decide if, if, if the current thing fails or not, if, if everything's just called country anyway. You know? Yeah. I think it's hard because people really enjoy creating subgenres, but then no one wants to admit that these subgenres exist. Like I always think, mm if country music was approached the same way metal was approached where you can like, you know, metal music, but then you can enjoy thrash speed, black death. Yeah. yeah, yeah new, yeah. Uh, but you'll still like, well, I like metal, but then it'll be like, well, I don't like sleaze, but yeah. overall, but then with country, it's like, I like country, but I only like this bit of country. And it's like, will you admit or even try to see how the others are connected? And they're yeah. like, no, no, that's it. Um, and that's I guess um, one of the problems is there's not really a bridge because I've I've even seen I've seen some of the fans of the newer stuff because they're doing wrong. There are loads of people who like mm. who like loads of different aspects of country, mm. but there are but there are a lot of newer fans, should we say, that kind of talk about the old stuff in disparaging terms, and they they don't like when the old stuff is 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 sort of um, forced on them or, yeah. or um, inserted into their new stuff somehow, and. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say about that now, but it's basically that's that's um, you know that that is against what everyone told me would happen. They said they said, "Oh no, this is good for country because everyone's going to start 
looking back at the old stuff and wanting to discover more and all that like mm. and that has not happened at all and that's why I say there has to be a split at some point. I can't remember yeah. the original point I was going to make there, but, mm. but that I'll have to do. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> and you're, I, I kind of, from everything I've ever seen of you online and stuff, it seems like you pretty much like know everyone coming out of like the States as well. Like, you know, Pat Reedy and mm. those type of guys. I kind of think, you know, the Pat Reedy's, the gems on VHS, and then later the Western F's, I think that's been hugely influential on like, the modern country scene that's kind of bypassing both sides of things. There seems to be like a vein of artists and fans who have taken inspiration from the more traditional side of stuff, as well as what's happened in America and try to forge yeah. their own way. Have you seen that with obviously having a close relationship with those type of guys? Yeah. Um, that, that has been a, a more recent thing. I mean, it's I, the, the thing is a lot of that comes out of um, at some point, and I'm not sure what started this. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, about 10 years ago or so, there was a, a load of people in Nashville who started coming to Nashville. And I think, okay, it probably does come back to the Nashville TV show, honestly, who started. And some of them love country music and wanted to make it anyway, but some of them didn't. Some of them were not quite sure what they wanted to do. And some of those people have started doing country and then moved away from it again. Mm. I won't name any names on that, but, but they, but it, it was quite noticeable. Um, and some of them have got themselves ensconced in country and just make whatever they, music they want and still call yeah. it country. Um, but I, the, for so, the, about 10 years ago, there, there was a lot of people who started out around the same time. And the gems on VHS and Western AF stuff that you talk about, that that kind of grew out of that because the guys who run those things realised there was this scene evolving. Um, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a new... Um, a newish thing of the yeah. last 10 years um it's hard to I, I, like I say it's hard to really put a finger on it but um there's there is definitely a thing there and, and a lot of those people are it's kind of a cult thing a lot of them some of them have been picked up by like uh the bigger labels or bigger independents like new western rounder and stuff but yeah. but a lot of them are not and a lot of them just are just kind of existing in this world where they get hundreds of thousands of views on youtube or whatever but no one's really, um, you know, putting them on big tours yeah. or, or um, you know, um, giving them big um, uh, record deals or anything. It's like, um, it's, it's it's a funny little world that, but it's the sort of thing, you know, if, if you're plugged into it, you know, there's a load of great stuff there, but but a lot of people don't know mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. No, it's a weird one. And it's interesting, like, the Nashville TV show, I didn't think it was as influential or as important as... I think it is because I, I watched the first couple of seasons and mm. I remember I, I went and watched, they did like a gig in Manchester at the Bridgewater Hall place. I went to it. Oh, right. Yeah. And I, I met a couple of them after the show and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. And then I dropped out of it. But, yeah. you know, as a country music fan, I was like, I don't like any of this music. I just watched it because it was like a cheesy yeah. soap opera and I just had something to fill the time. But it's weird how, you know, people will have that exposure and then be like, this is what country music is yeah and then base their whole kind of perception I, on it i really don't know why it it caught on so much it's just just been a time and a place thing mm. i think because the series in the end just fizzled out and i think people lost interest the first series i believe they tried to include a lot more of the sort of traditional stuff in it mm. a couple of my friends were on it like just just performing live in nashville or whatever but yeah. i think from there on in they realized that their target audience was not being funny younger people mostly women who who um, were interested in 
the soap opera aspect yeah. and how the music fed into that and all that. And they had the Taylor Swift soap opera type songs as well and and all that. Not to just constantly pick on Taylor Swift because she did admit that she left country, but but that that yeah. sort of thing. And it's that kind of crowd. And they focused on that, and that's where it came. And then it, it it died a death. But it did. It I think it caught a lot of people at, at a ripe age to be like. Oh, I like I like that sort of thing. I I like dressing up like a cowgirl once <laughs> once a year and going to the O2. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's it, I I don't really know why it was so popular, but I think it was a time and a place thing. Yeah, definitely, it was definitely a lightning in the bottle type thing that went from there. But yeah, let's let's get back to your stuff a bit more, man. I I dug up a quote from you from 2013. Right. I, I don't want to brag, but I did some research oh, for no. this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, talking about like you being a traditional country singer songwriter and one of the yeah. quotes is i plow alone furrow in the uk as there aren't many other artists that cover country music do you think that's changed in the last 10 years is there anyone contemporary in the uk coming up that you consider to be doing the same type of thing you're doing or flying that traditional flag um there's 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 not many this this there are more people i think um kind of focusing on that um that what i find is is that a lot of the the people who are doing it now i mean you know aside from the pop crowd or whatever that we've talked about like they 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 tend to be focusing on something a bit different from what i focus on mm. because when i started i was just purely wanted to basically be like sort of like 50s 60s 70s sort of yeah type country i mean I've, I've kind of i kind of moved on a little bit changed a bit i'm still you know still traditional but i mean i i don't really know if there's anyone who else, who does who does specifically that sort of thing um a lot of other people around are influenced by newer things not not newer pop things but newer yeah. things um and whilst i like newer stuff my all my heroes are, are from the old days really and it's mm. like um that's you know th- there aren't many other people like that unless unless i'm missing them um this people come and go as well that's the other thing you know so people start out promising and then they'll disappear somewhere or they'll stop playing music altogether which yeah. is a real shame and and you 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 get that so um yeah i i don't know it's it's a, i know it's a very vague answer but i'm not really sure yeah because i often think actually if somebody came out and said right i'm going to put on a traditional country festival in the uk you'd you'd be struggling to, yeah. to to fill the lineup and it's like um you know you'd be having to dig people up from the old days and like it's like you know i don't know if you know john miller up in scotland like has mm. been sort of making a bit of a comeback recently like and he he was always really good but you know it, if he wasn't making a comeback now like you know there there would be you know there'd be no one in scotland really you know yeah. like it's it's and it also comes down to how you define country as well. We yeah. come back to that thing. But I'm sorry it's such a vague answer. I don't really think there are many people doing it the way I do it. And yeah. I don't mean good or bad. I mean, mm. like, just in terms of style. Mm. No, I think I think that's a valid thing, man, because it is one of those things. Because obviously we've looked as, like, from rogue side of stuff, putting on, you know, a bit more a traditional thing, a bit more that has, yeah. you know, that sound and that vibe to it. And it is one of those things where it's so diluted here that having that type of voice is a rare thing, which I yeah. think is why you do so well. And mo- loads of people like listen to your music and look up to you is because you do fly that flag like unapologetically into mm. how that is your style. Yeah. I think that's, um, it, it's probably part of it. And it, I mean, it works in my favor to be honest, because a lot of times, like I played a festival at the weekend, uh, in South London and, um, um, 
you know, I just sound completely different from everyone else on the bill at most things. Um, even mm. when I played, uh, I played Buckle and Boots one year in, in uh, up in up there in Manchester. Where is it, Stockport? I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was the only act that had a pedal steel, and it was like the the you know the only one doing anything remotely traditional. Mm. And that was, you know, it, it, you know, it does it does help me in a way that it helps mm. me stand out. But it also means, and this is the problem I've always had, it's very hard for me to fit in anywhere. It's very hard for me to fit on, fit in on a lot of bills. Yeah. And I never really had the sort of uh, rites of passage of, of going on tour or opening for a big act or something like that, because, because I just couldn't do it. There's, you know, I'm, I'm too niche. There's, mm. there's no act I could do that for. I, I had the odd gig here and there where I was lucky enough to open for some big names, but, but, it was it was never something that was going to last. Like I, you know, I had other artists that I know who went on tour opening for Shaking Stevens and stuff like mm. that. It's like I'm never going to do that because this, the music I'm playing is just never ever going to going to fit with that. And I, yeah. I, you know, that's that was the choice that I made. So I, I can't I can't complain about it. It's just it's just a fact. Yeah. No, definitely. But that does remind me. You played with um, Whitney Rose last week as well, didn't you? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. We did, on Friday. Yeah, we were on, we were on the festival together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. We. We I also opened for it twice uh, on the weekend. But how, what yeah. did you think of those gigs? What festivals you played with it? Uh, it was uh, the um, Mid Sussex Musical Ale Festival in in Hassocks near Brighton, and um, I actually I opened for Whitney uh, back in 2019 as well mm. um, in London. And it was it, it was a stark contrast because when I opened for her in 2019, she had kind of a younger band, and it was a great show. It was at uh, the Lexington in London, and it was it was a cool show and all that. But but this show that I saw on Friday was amazing. And it was because she had uh, an Austin band with her. She had um, Lisa Pankratz. Oh, you, you, you were there. I mean, you, yeah. you met these guys. Lisa Pankratz and uh, Brad Fordham um, on drums and bass. And I mean, Lisa Pankratz is is one of the best drummers in Austin, if not the best. She's absolutely unreal. Mm. And Brad Fordham's just, you know, um, as, as sort of... Uh, uh, as good a bass player as you'll get. And Noel McKay, my friend Noel McKay was was the great yeah. singer songwriter, was was playing lead guitar and, and he he knows what that Austin sound is, you know, like it's kind of yes, it's it's country, but it's kind of a bit bluesy as well. And yeah, just just with that band behind her, it was an amazing show and it just like yeah, it, it absolutely blew me away. Absolutely mm. did. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure you probably felt the same. Yeah, no, they were so tight. It was unreal, like between um Lisa and Brad, like the bassist and the drummer, it was just yeah, insane. Obviously, Noel coming in laying that fire it was really really fun to watch just how yeah. tight they all are and it Absolutely. shows just that thing but with you know those type of artists coming through do you find that crowd reacts better to like your stuff as well and that's kind of like the audiences to get in front of yeah i mean definitely i try to i you know in the past i've tried to sort of get on those shows because because i know that that people will get it because i've played so many gigs over the years where people just do not understand what i'm doing because they're just, they just they don't even really know what traditional country is so they don't really get it at all mm. but at those gigs you know that you know they're going to get it and I, you know that's yeah it 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 is definitely a, a positive thing but but those things are few and far between mm. and this comes back to what we were talking about before like um used to be and it sounds like I'm sort of harking back to the old days. But <laughs> I wasn't even there, but like, but in, you know, back in the sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you had um, all the big country acts would come over regularly touring and they'd play the theatres or whatever. Like they, they'd be constantly over here. Um, but that, I mean, that hasn't happened for so long. No. And you, you know, you, you get, you get the likes of Whitney Rose and you get, you know, loads of other people of, of, of that type coming over. But, it's it's you know it's not often enough really no. and you, you haven't got the constant stream of country artists that you used to have and it's and it's it, it makes it very hard if you're trying to sort of 
get your foot in the door in a country like this playing country music because because people just aren't going to see you in the right in the no. right places or in the right um uh whatever the word is um context mm. um enough to to really understand what you're doing but i mean it's just it's just another complaint of mine yeah no <laughs> totally man i I have the same thing and it's like you only have maybe six to eight artists coming over that are of that like caliber of that draw yeah. and it's very rare that a uk artist is in the conversation to even open for them they'll only bring someone over or have yes. something set up and it's i've been talking to josh about it. it's like how do we get more uk artists in that conversation when someone's coming over to be like not necessarily a yeah. rolodex but flick through and go well who the fuck is playing this type of music over here and it's one of those things that's the downfall of the modern country scene from like 2010 onwards is no one outside of the uk really knows what we're doing yeah that's a big problem and um yeah that that thing about them not you you know these acts coming over not using uk acts as support artists is, is a big thing and it just sounds it sounds like people like you and me are just griping about it because we're not getting the gigs but yeah. actually it's a serious point because if you see what the likes of charlie crockett and colter wall and people like that do in in the us they they use an act from the region they're touring in to open for them for several shows you know quite a few mm-hmm. shows in a row and and they'll do all that, and, and that gives that artist big exposure. I've seen it with Summer Dean. Summer Dean has opened yeah. so many uh, bigger acts there, and she's now made a name for herself, and she's you know become a name in her own right. And it's and it's all because of those of that exposure she's been given on those tours, mm. and loads of other people. Colter Wall did it with loads of people, mm. but when they come here, they bring someone with them more more often than not, not always, but but more often than not. Um, I think Colter Wall did it with Ian No, yeah, and uh, somebody else maybe. Um, but it's like. You know, if if you're someone here that you know we're the region, they're coming from the, from there, and they're coming to this region, but they won't have anybody from here. Um, yeah. And it's and it's 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 probably not their fault. A lot of them is it's like um, they have booking agents and stuff that that um, decide this stuff for them, or they suggest people. I remember, and you know, I'll, I'll name names here. I remember when Josh Headley came first time because he's a good friend of mine. Mm. And I, I asked him about it and he said, oh, well, we've got someone else that I've been recommended. It turned out to be Twinny, right? And it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying anything about it, but, but it was like completely wrong for the show. Yeah. You know, um, you know nothing, nothing against Twinny because she's, she, she's doing something completely different, right? It's like, she, you know, but that, that music, that crowd is not going to get those two things. Yeah, you know, like, no, totally. And, it's, and it, it, was, it was a recommendation from a booking agent and it's like, I understand that booking agent's job is extremely hard trying to, trying to get things all their ducks in a row and stuff and also they've got pressure from other management and stuff where they're they're asked to include people and you must imagine what the the pressure must be from the labels in america they're saying oh you know you should take so and so with you when you go to the uk because they need the exposure it always comes to the point where the artist has got almost no say in it yeah 100 percent. so it's there's no real answer as to what you can really do about it it's been a problem that i've faced for a long time and i i um i've you know I try and just kind of ignore it because there's not a lot I can do about it. I have, you know, I, I ask my my booking agent to have a word sometimes when I see someone coming over that would be worth opening for. But it, but more often than not, you you know, you might as well uh, be shouting at a brick wall. You know, it's just mm. like the the you, you, these people just aren't going to respond, and and it's just the way the business is, mate. And it's like uh, you know, like a lot of things, you, you just have to kind of just get your head down and get on with it because yeah. because you can't change it really yeah no 100% I agree with the same thing because like I've you know I I send preemptive emails now where it's like this person's not toward the UK yet 
Yeah. Like, right. Because it's yeah. also I put on shows as well. So it's like, if they're coming over, let me know because I want to put a gig on. But also, yeah. who the fuck's going to be opening for them? And it's that type of preemptive thing. But it is the UK scene isn't known internationally yet. Yeah. Which is yeah. where we pull our heads down and do the work. And hopefully we get a couple and just start building up from there. But it is one of those things where it's like, how do we get in that conversation? It is just putting the time in and hopefully building on what we already have. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's there's there's no sort of concrete answer, I'm afraid. No. Um, but you know, I it's like with anything in music. I just I, I always say I, I think the answer is um, to just um, to to play live as much as you can and to to make your live performance as good as they can possibly be and to record stuff that's as good as it, as it can yeah. possibly be and 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 you know like and if you keep doing that those two things then surely you know you'll start to make progress in some respect you know like that's 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 always been the way i've looked at it yeah no totally man going on to what you were just talking about and having good music siempre is that the correct pronunciation of it yeah that's right yeah yeah oh, i'm so proud of myself but this is going to be your fourth album is it that's yeah fourth like proper album yeah Right, man. And what was it about the Kickstarter platform and that kind of thing that attracted you to it and made you want to do this album through it? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's necessity. apart from the music industry it's, being utter dog shit, yeah. and you need to. It's kind of necessity, really. Yeah. Um, but also, it's 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 not just that. I mean, yeah, okay. It's very hard to find the money to make albums, you know, at the moment. Um, but that that being said, it's um. You know, I, I did potentially have other options on the table, but it was like um, the the thing was, it's very important for me to have a complete control over it because yeah. my last album, that's what I had. And I think it was probably my best album, mm. uh, my last one. And, and I, you know, I, I know exactly what I want to do with this one. And having that complete control was very important. And, and one of the only ways you can get that is, is if you can self-fund it in some way. Mm. Now, obviously, um, you could argue whether it's self-funding and asking people to support Kickstarter, but, but what those people are essentially doing is, is is pre-ordering the album and some other rewards and stuff that that um, that, are, that are related to it. But so you, so you're not just asking them to sort of just yeah. throw, throw money in the pot and, and hope for the best, which is which is what I like about it because you know I think there have been a few horror stories in the past where uh, people have, have have done things like that, like um, crowdfunding things, um, and and no one's ever got anything out of it in the end. Yeah never actually happened so i um to me it's like you know people are pre-ordering the album they know what they're going to get they they know what roughly what i'm trying to do and and hopefully if if all is well i'll be able to keep on the timeline and and deliver mm. things when, when when i'm hoping to yeah cool man what is the timeline for things so obviously you have the album written is has anything been recorded yet or are you going into the studio once you this kickstart has kind of hit its goal yeah, no, I've, nothing's recorded yet. Um, yeah, everything's written, but it's uh, yeah. Once, once, hopefully, if the Kickstarter hits its goal, I'll, I'll be able to go in the studio uh, end November, start of December. Um, and I like to do things very quickly in the studio. I don't like to waste time because it's expensive time, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, so um, that hopefully that will be done, and then you know within a couple of months we'll have it sort of uh, mastered, and then you start like the, the the PR process which is which always takes about four months so yeah um I you know I, I don't really want to be hanging about I think in the past I've hung about with stuff like that because you kind of sometimes when you've got a finished album like that you're like hmm what do I really want to do mm. with this and you know is there anyone else who should hear this sort of thing but but this time I know what I want to do I want to self-release it again like the last one and it's you know 
so we can start hopefully start the PR process early and then it should be I'm aiming for it to be out like like June July mm. 2023 I think that's a realistic time cool, scale right. yeah no that's awesome and from kind of kickstarter page what you talked about it's got like influenced by border rhythms and like a more Tex-Mex sound what was it that kind mm. of drew you to that like style I think I don't know this is actually it's kind of a bit like what I was saying earlier about how I got into country music and just kind of you know didn't really know anything about it before but that but but stumbled across it and realized it suited me and that's yeah. kind of what has happened with this Tex-Mex stuff which is in my opinion it's a subgenre of country I mean it's definitely yeah. folk music um and I mean I loved you know I, I one of my favorite bands possibly my favorite band is the Texas Tornadoes with Doug mm. Sam and and they they obviously took a lot of that music and fused it with with um kind of country and their own stuff and also some of the Sir Douglas Quintet stuff which is like 60s pop music you know mm. um so I can you know I, I I love that sort of thing I mean something I should stress I think I said before that it's just not it's not a full Tex-Mex album no. because if it was like it would be 90% like fast polkas and I don't think people are really ready for that to be honest like, <laughs> um uh but there will be elements of that and and I I love the sort of but I've already written a few songs that have been on my previous albums that have had kind of border rhythms like bolero type rhythms mm. um which um which just seems to come very naturally to me that. Uh, so I kind of wanted to explore that a bit further and I learned as much as I could about it. And I've, you know, it's, it's very hard to learn about Tex-Mex music because it's such a niche thing. It's, yeah. it's South Texas, Northern Mexico border. And um, really, I mean, the only town you're going to find a lot of it in is, is San Antonio. Mm. Um, but there's, but there's also a lot of those border towns, which apparently are not safe to go to anymore, which where there's loads of it, but um, it's those, that's where people used to go to, to go and listen to it when it was, when it was safe. But, um, but, but these days it's, 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 it's a folk thing that it still goes on, but, but you have to look for it. And yeah. I've been learning the, um, the Bajo Quinto, which is a um, specifically Tex-Mex instrument. Um, it's the 10 string version of the Bajo Sexto, mm. which is arguably more common, but um, that's, that's part of it as well. Cool. And where did you track down that instrument? Did you get it shipped in from, the states yeah i had to um you can't get them anywhere i was was hoping there might be somewhere like on denmark street in london or something that didn't but no Mm. um i'll be perfectly honest they're very hard to play because Mm. they're i mean it's a it's a guitar essentially but it's like um it's tuned differently and the chords you're playing are very tough on your wrist very Mm. tough on your wrist um and especially if you're playing quite sort of fast paced which um which a lot of the songs are um, so that's just a matter of practice. But um, I was—I've been talking to um, one of the people that I'm hoping is going to be involved with this album uh, is Wes McGee, who is um, one of the, um, the great country artists ever to come out of the UK. Mm. And he was—he was a master of that Tex-Mex stuff. He learned it all when he was in Austin. Um, and I asked him—he was the one who told me. He said, "You need to get a bajo sexto or a quinto if <laughs> you're going to do it properly." Um, and I told him how how much trouble I'm having my wrist and he said he said well you see you're doing it wrong you need to drink loads of tequila before you even pick one up he said <laughs> he said these things could only have been invented by a mexican you know like um you know <laughs> that you have to you have to ingest like about a liter of tequila before you even think about playing it so maybe that's where i'm going wrong yeah you need to just get a few shots or half a bottle in you before you yeah <laughs> yeah that's it yeah and what was it about like the songwriting process that kind of spoke to you about this because obviously you'll be writing these songs solo with you mm. just voicing a guitar what was it yeah. that kind of 
drew you to that style and made you want to follow this path? Um, I think it's partly because it's different from what I've done before. And, yeah. and I'm very conscious, very conscious, if you listen to my first three albums, that I write a lot of shuffles. And um, mm. and it's hard sometimes when I'm playing live, like when I, or I'm writing a set list or something, I'm like, I've got, I've got like three shuffles in a row there. Like, <laughs> it's like, but it's, it's finding one that on, on the track list from my previous albums that isn't a shuffle. Um, so I wanted to do, that. that is part of it, seriously. I wanted mm. to have an album that, that, that wasn't filled with shuffles but yeah. also i just wanted to explore something new because with country songwriting if you if you're playing traditional country you can get um you know if if you're doing it in a specifically dance hall way then then you get kind of locked into the shuffles and the waltzes yeah. and the odd um the odd bolero i was doing like um just because because that's what people expect to hear and i know that a lot of my fans sort of like all that sort of stuff so I didn't want to disappoint them. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it would be a little bit, it would lack a bit of courage if I didn't try mm. something different on like a fourth album. Yeah, you know, no, like totally. I, I, think, I think everyone would be happy if I did another Honky Tonk album. And I, you know, I'm certainly I'm certainly not going to leave that stuff behind. And I certainly yeah. will go back to it, but it's like, but um, I want to try something different. And, and it, truth be told, it's really not that far removed. It's, it's stuff that you would recognize from, from the similar era that my, my other stuff is as well. So I, I, mm. I don't think people are going to be horrified, you know? No. Right on, man. And with it kind of having that kind of vibe and sensibility, have you approached like the lyrics and the songwriting and the storytelling any differently? Um, Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. I mean, there's some subject matter that's sort of, I, I guess, you don't want to get too far because if you're writing that sort of style of music that that evokes those sort of, you know, I don't know, like border vibes or whatever, you can't be writing about, um, I don't know, like going down to Lidl or something, and, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know, like it's it's like you know you can't be you can't be writing about things that are completely alien from that thing so yeah um whilst something i've always tried to avoid in my songwriting is pretending that i'm someone i'm not like mm. like like pretending that i live in america and yeah. trying to you know and that i'm constantly riding a horse around the pasture or that i'm or that i'm driving down desert roads and stuff because that's not you know because it's I, I think people value the authenticity of my music oh, so totally so i try and get real but i but at the same time with 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 this kind of vibe you have to um you have to kind of evoke a certain feeling yeah um so i i hope i've struck the balance with that it's, it's a very roundabout answer to that question mm -hmm. but I, I i hope i've struck a bit more of a balance you know what i mean yeah no right and with your lyrics you know from your previous albums and going into this one you talk about like wanting it to be authentic and you know not necessarily yeah. pretending that you're something you're not but has there been times across your songwriting where, you know, obviously like John Prime was quite famous for writing songs from another point of view. Was it one of those things as a UK artist, you were not necessarily worried or you were conscious of, you know, if I write from the perspective of say an American character, this will then mm -hmm. get interpreted that I'm a British artist trying to pretend to be American instead of, you know, writing from an imaginative stance. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, th I, th I think that's, definitely something i was worried about um uh but you know I, I get accused i get accused anyway all the time of pretending to be american i've mm. always had that and it's like uh, you know and i think most uk country artists will get it um 
at some point because you know what else can you do but but yeah. i i definitely i think the thing is i don't really write story songs from yeah. other people's perspectives i have i have written songs actually that are that are a bit like that that are, that are kind of loosely based on on mm. personal experience but are more of a story song but mm. they're very few and far between and i think you can go too far with it you know like um and you know start talking about things you just don't know about no um, it's it's i don't know it's it, 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 i'm not saying it's wrong i'm not saying it's wrong at all it, i think it would be wrong for me um and i i don't want to say it's wrong because there are many great songwriters who have who have achieved it mm. and even like writers like authors have you know uh, written about you know who say english authors have written about being american or whatever mm. or in america um in and, and they've done it very authentically so you know I, I please don't think that i'm saying it's yeah. wrong i just i really don't think yeah that, no it, it um, has it to come from like yeah an authentic perspective even if you are writing about something that's necessarily inauthentic to yourself yeah it's like i always joke when i'm playing live i have a song about the m53 right, i kind of yeah. i kind of uh preempted by saying you know i'm a british country singer so yeah. i don't sing about highways i sing about motorways yeah, I'm trying yeah, to make. Yeah. I'm trying to turn it into a bit of a joke, but it is one of those things where it's you know you don't want to get necessarily because you are right. People are gonna like, accuse you of trying to sound American no matter what you do. Yeah, but I yeah. do try and make a point of being like, like this is the flag, like on the hill that yeah. I'm like standing behind and being like this is you know a British sound stuff, and I'll you know yeah. you, use wind in a song and just try and throw in some yeah. actual like words and phrases that I use instead of like highways and back roads and shit like that yeah yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a totally valid point and you know it has the joke was made um at some point with me that um if i were to if i were to sing completely about you know who i am where i live and in completely my own accent then it'd be like the wurzels and, and I, <laughs> I completely understand that but at the same time, that's actually a, a, another point. And I don't know, you know, I'm sure a lot of UK country artists get this, but I, I um, you know, I get asked about the voice that I sing in all the time. Mm. And honestly, it's just the voice that comes out when I sing it. It's just like that is that because it's country, I think it's going to have a, a bit of a t- kind of twang in it, I guess. But it's that's that's just the voice that comes out when I sing. But a lot of people really sort of they really want to quiz me on it. They're like, yeah. why don't you just sing in your own voice? And it's like, well, you know, like. Sometimes that you know, but like I say it's the one that comes out. But but if if I made a real concerted effort to sing in in the accent that I speak in, I think that would sound worse in a way. I think it would sound like I was trying to put something on, you know. Yeah. Like, um, uh, trying to think that there are some artists that that works really well for whose whose actual voices work really well for them. Mm. Um, I, but, I think that's like the kind of speak singy people, like even like Leonard Cohen or you know Billy Jason Bragg. Isbell's Billy Bragg, those type of people, where it's like <laughs> it's an obvious one. Yeah. yeah, they have those accents, and it's yeah. well, for the most part because it's even like Canadians sing in that it's it's a Western, yeah, kind of accent, not country and Western, but you know Western Hemisphere, you know England, Britain, Canada, even Australia yeah. has like that kind of thing too. Because I know I don't put on a voice; I sing as true as i can without trying yeah. to because when yeah, i yeah. first started when i was a kid i sang with this horrendously bad eddie vedder impression just because <laughs> right, that okay. was kind of like what i grew up on and then what i kind of hid behind because i wasn't confident in my own yeah. voice yeah yeah but then i'll speak in between and then i get a ton of people coming up to me after the show being like where the fuck are you from because my accent in between it kind of goes all over the place because i do have a yeah, weird yeah. accent and um, but it is one of those things where it's like 
that's for like even in pop rap any metal any genre really there's no real someone trying to be you know put their accent into it they always sing yeah. with some sort of western-esque something to it yeah exactly it's sort of i mean it gets called transatlantic a little bit doesn't it like um you know i mean you can't tell me that mick jagger or whatever like that people all those all those legendary people and the beatles grew up just emulating all their american rock and roll heroes you know like it's the beatles didn't sound scouse when they sang no 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 exactly exactly it's yeah, it's it's kind of an annoying thing that, but uh, like people always think that there's a that people say, oh, it's hilarious to hear you speak between the songs because you sound so different. And honestly, to me, it doesn't sound different. To me, no. it's just like I just sang the song and now I'm speaking, and that's it. You know, yes, like, it's, <laughs> it's just a part and parcel of it. Yeah, yeah, but there you go. But you know, but people, it is it is all down to interpretation. You know, yeah, no, totally, man. I'm with the new album with Kickstarter. One of the rewards I saw going up was your first guitar. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Was yeah. that a hard decision to pull up to? Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, on the one hand, obviously, I don't play anymore, uh, mm. so that's one thing. But also, it's got a lot. It has got a lot of um, sort of sentimental value. You know, I, um, I, the way I learned to play the guitar probably set me back years because I because I learned from a Leonard Cohen chord book, mm. and his his chord progressions are a bit odd. So I didn't really understand about basic chord progressions for a long time. <laughs> I thought his were like normal, but, um, but, um, yeah, I, it, it, it's very important to me because I was completely self-taught on the guitar. I never learned from anyone else, which is another thing that set me back years probably. Um, and I, you know, so I, everything that I ever discovered trying to play Leonard Cohen and Loudon Wainwright, and then the beginnings of like Hank Williams stuff, it was probably mm. the, the first country artist I really properly listened to. Mm. Um, you know, that was, it was, it was all done in that guitar and it was, and it was, you know, to me, it was very important because uh, it was it, to me, it was my thing that yeah. I was that I was going to do. And it took me a long, long time of practicing and learning to sort of get confident enough with it. But but, you know, it was, it was that guitar that I, that, mm. I, that I learned it all on. Yeah. No, man, you don't forget your face. Like I've still got mine and it's it's not as nice as a Yamaha one. This was um, a beat up like Argos classical one for like 20 right. quid. Yeah. And I've still got it and it's still got the exact same nylon strings and it can't hold tune for longer than like a minute <laughs> but i still have it downstairs and whenever i'm making a cup of tea or i've got like a spare like my hands are just free it's just yeah. back in them and i'm just like twiddling along on it but yeah man it i can i saw that go up and i was like this album means a lot well yeah i mean but at the same time you can't hold on to these things forever and like no. i say it's it to be honest i don't use it anymore so i'd much rather someone had it and a either used it to learn themselves or b just put it up somewhere and said, Oh, I've got Axe Connolly's first guitar. And, and yeah. you know, because I think there's maybe one or two people in existence who might think that that was a good thing to have. Mm. But, um, you know, like I, if, if they want it, they're completely um, welcome to it. But mm. I mean, it might be that nobody wants it. I'm completely prepared for that eventuality mm. as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. And it's, you know, when you have like any level of fan base, it can just be like the oddest or, you know, the thing that you don't think anyone will give a shit about is the thing that yeah. people gravitate towards. And that, that I saw that and that was a really cool thing. And I really respected it because I always, yeah. you know, like I sold two guitars off to pay for like my first album. And I sold a ton of my comic book collection off to like, so right. when, when I see someone yeah. putting up like something that they really, you know, care about and love, I'm like, they really fucking mean this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it, I think, 
if if you look at the the Kickstarter rewards, like you know, I mean, I, I didn't want to sort of um, over promise things to people. You know, I didn't want to promise things I couldn't deliver. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a certain amount of sacrifice. You know, there's there's things like house concerts there, which yeah. you know, like, um, you know, uh, it's obviously I've got to travel to go and service house and, and play music, and it's and that's you know that's fine. If it helps you make this album, I've got no problem with it. And you know, I I'll drive up and down the country for it. Um, yeah. same with um you know songwriting tips thing i said i do like a like a zoom thing like you know just mm. uh you know um and help someone work on a song and you know I'll happily do the preparation work for it and mm. and, do, and do whatever else because um you know i've got no problem with doing that and i i, I probably you know should really have uh thought about some doing like something like that in lockdown maybe but mm. <laughs> never actually got around to it but yeah. but yeah I, I, you know I, I i need to give up part of myself if I, yeah. if I if i expect other people to to give to me you know yeah no totally man with the songwriting stuff I, i'm not going to try and get a free lesson out of you <laughs> <laughs> but with you know when someone comes to you with a song or wants some songwriting advice is there anything that is like the top two things that come to your mind at the forefront of what you kind of look for or what you think they should be looking for um well it depends really because everyone's sort of got different yeah things they want from it but i mean one of the main ones one of the main ones i notice with a lot of uh like people starting out with songwriting is that is that they they, they try and write songs that are too long yeah and it's the great i've got a, a book around here by tom t hall somewhere that mm. he wrote about songwriting and it's and, he, and one of the main things he says in it is he says get in make your point and get out don't yeah. you know don't just be hanging around just for the sake of it because I think when I started writing songs, I, I I used to think, oh, you know, every song, you know, a good song is like four and a half minutes long. So that's that's how long my song should be, just for the sake of it. And it's yeah. when you think about it, it's mad, you know. Like, um, so there's that. I mean, that's that's one of the main ones. It it really depends. Some people have real hang-ups on on certain things on songwriting, which which I had because it took me a long, 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 long time to get confident with songwriting. Um, uh, probably because I was just doing it again. I was doing it on my own and had no other input and no one to bounce off or whatever. Yeah. So um, that's probably what took so long. But but so it can you can find yourself getting caught in little um, sort of ruts and mm. not knowing the way out because because you've got nothing else there to tell you. But um, anyway, I hope I hope I could be of some help to somebody. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. That's definitely one of the things as a songwriter I learned was you know it's saving the song. It is you don't need a four and a half minute track. Yeah. unless the story is not done in yeah. that time and then you go to that point but because even i've done a song and it's like maybe clocking in like two minutes or something yeah. i'm like yeah i don't need to say anything else with this thing i'm just gonna fucking do it as a quick one yeah yeah, yeah. that's it yeah um i mean I've, I've never quite been confident enough to write like a one minute song or something um but but people you know there's so many great songs from from the old days that are, that are less than two minutes yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I saw Amigo the Devil a few months back and he peppered in across the set. He had like five one minute songs. Right. Yeah. That were like really interesting because like a couple of them were kind of like farcical where it was kind of like playing on astronauts and stuff like that. But, but <laughs> right. one was done from the perspective of his dog waiting for him to come home and it fucking ripped the heart out of the right. entire audience. Yeah. But it was yeah, literally yeah. like a minute long. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. Th- that, but that's one of those fun things where maybe it is, you know, a live setting where you throw in like a 30 second quick, almost like a skit, but it's, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. And that can happen. And I, you know, I, I've seen, um, 
also when uh, you see a, some artists who normally play with a band play solo, they'll just cut out the, the anything that would have been an instrumental or something yeah. and, just, and just massively shorten a song. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, you know? Like, yeah. you know, I think people get hung up on stuff like that. Mm, no, totally, man. Um, obviously, the Kickstarter, hopefully everything will start coming out towards the middle of next year. Yeah. What live shows do you have coming up for the rest of the year? Um, I've got a few things coming up. Um, that's a good question. Uh, this I, I don't know how, how soon this is going out. But hey, this put... will be coming out in two weeks. Okay, right. So um, in two weeks, I will have done what I'm doing this weekend. Um, <laughs> so that's fine. Um, I mean, the next big thing I've got really is the start of October. I'm, uh, I'm going to Sweden for a week. Oh, cool. Um, it's the first time I've... Um, I've ever been there and that's somewhere, you know, Scandinavia is a great place that, that the supporters of country music and I've been trying to mm. get there for so long. And I'm, I'm very glad uh, that that's come together. Uh, I'm also going to be doing, uh, going to do a festival in the Netherlands again at the end of October. But mm. in the middle, in the middle of that, I think I'm doing um, a show in London at the, the Moth Club in Hackney for um, it's Morton Valance's uh, album launch and cool. I'm opening for them. on That was uh, something that the Cow Pie label brought together. Yeah. Um, and after that, I'll be doing some shows up in Scotland um, mm. towards end of October, start of November, because I've been desperate to get back up there for a long time. I've got lots of fans up there, and I absolutely love getting back to Scotland whenever mm. I can. So I'll be announcing those pretty soon, I think. Oh, sick, man. Well, I think that's a good place to call it. I've got a yep. um, pork shoulder that I'm currently slow cooking <laughs> out in a barbecue, and I'm getting some panic test- texts from my wife saying it's smoking a bit too much. Oh, <laughs> so I'm going to... Uh, I thought you. I thought that was going to be a euphemism for something. Then, <laughs> no, it's a hundred percent. I've sat in a little thermometer to check the temperature, and I've been te- I've been texting. It's beeping, Mike. So I've got a right. Okay, check on that. But thanks so much for doing this, man. I really can't fucking wait for uh, this record because I'm a huge fan of what well, you do, and I'm hoping um, to see a Liverpool date on those. And yeah, soon. hopefully, hopefully. Actually, I, I, I should just mention this for you. I, I find it really hard to play up north these days because a lot of the places I used to play just aren't there anymore. Yeah. And people often ask me, "Why don't you come up north?" And honestly, I don't know. I, I'd yeah. love to. I'd love to get back up there. So, at some point, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I will be back. And just to let you know, the pork shoulder was delicious. That was Ags Connolly for episode 52 of the Rogue Country podcast. You can go kickstart his new album, Siempre, right now. Head over to his social media channels, follow the link. There's many different tiers of what you can support. You can get a CD, a vinyl, songwriting lessons. There's so much there. Ags is one of those stand-up guys that you really should go support. So until next time, folks, keep supporting the things you love. Keep doing the things you love. Peace.